Hi, my name is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this series, this is the second of a five-part series on fundamental financial planning concepts, hopefully explained simply. I've recorded videos, uh, screen share videos that are posted on YouTube. So if you want to I'm going to refer to a few charts through this podcast episode, so if you want to have a look at that, the link will be in the show notes, of course. But what I'd like to do is explain how to invest in property in very simple terms using four separate charts. Of course, this is a podcast, so how do I use charts on a podcast? Well, I'm going to try and do my best to kind of explain the fundamental concept. Okay, the first one first concept is that property investing works mostly because of the gearing, not really because of the property. So, you know, when people think about property versus shares, which asset is better? Which should they feel more comfortable with? You know, those sorts of questions. What I'd like to encourage you to do is not think it about that way. Just think about it. Do I want to borrow or do I not want to borrow? If you, if it's appropriate for you to borrow to invest, and I would say that, you know, if your goal is to build your asset, base, then borrowing is a very effective way to do that. And so certainly suits people that are starting out or sort of in the middle part of their wealth accumulation journey. Then if borrowing is suitable for you, then you should be probably investing in property. If you want an ungeared investment, that is you're not comfortable to borrow, then shares are probably the better investment. And I prepared some analysis a while ago that demonstrated that of the total return, borrowing contributes the second most to the total return. So I analyzed a property investment over 25 years, selling the asset, paying all the tax and so forth. The internal rate of return was about 14%. Uh, capital growth contributed the most. So 7.6 of that total 14% was due to capital growth, but 6.5% was due to the borrowings. So it's really the power of borrowing to invest in property rather than the property itself that generates a lot of the returns. And that's why it does well. So to compare a geared property portfolio to an ungeared share portfolio is a bit unfair. The second chart, which one I've talked about a lot in this podcast, demonstrates that property markets historically move in two cycles and will probably continue to do so. You know, property growth isn't straight line. You're not going to get 8%, 7% compounding capital growth each and every year. Of course, we know markets are more volatile than that. But when we look at property markets, particularly in Australian capital cities over the last four decades, we can see that they move in two distinct cycles. The first cycle is a flat cycle where, you know, we receive very little growth, less than typically less than inflation. And then that is typically followed by a growth cycle. And this is what we call mean reversion. That is, in the long run, investment returns will revert to their mean or average. So really what this means is that a period of above average growth is typically followed by a period of below average growth because it's reverting to its lower mean and the vice versa is true. That means that if you buy a property just before a growth cycle, fantastic, you're going to enjoy really great returns. If you buy a property just before a flat cycle, 
then it's likely you're going to have to hold that property for a lot longer because you really do need to experience the same number of growth cycles as you do a flat cycle. And it shows that you know property is certainly a, a long-term investment. The next chart that I shared in the video was really showing or demonstrating that it's all about growth, not about income. And I compared two different property investments, one that generates 5% rental yield and 5% growth, although these theoretical examples. And I compared that to another investment that still generates a total return of 10%, but this time only 2% in income and 8% in growth. So in year zero, when we first buy these assets, let's assume that both properties are worth 750000 The higher income asset is generating thirty-seven thousand dollars of in rental income the lower income asset fifteen thousand so when you compare those two assets most investors are going to go okay give me the one that's got twice as much more than double the amount of income because that certainly helps me service the loan but if we fast forward over 30 years the higher income property is worth 3.2 million dollars the lower income property is worth seven and a half million dollars so more than double the value of the lower income asset the total income the higher income property is generating $162,000 in rental income. The lower income is $151,000. So not that much different in terms of income, but a huge difference in capital growth. The reason for that is that even though our starting yield is lower, if the value of that asset is rising, then as a percentage of that asset, our income will rise as well. And really what we're trying to do is look at the overall return. And the greatest benefit of having more capital growth and less income is that income is taxed each year, growth is not. Growth isn't taxed until you sell the asset. Therefore, it allows you to reinvest that pre-tax income each and every year and really benefit from that compounding capital growth. If we extend that analysis over a 40-year period, the high income asset is worth 5 $2 million, the low income asset is worth $16.2 million, three times the amount. It really shows that compounding capital growth does all the heavy lifting. And if you're interested in investing in property, we know that property moves in cycles, so you really have to hold it for the long term, unless you're really lucky to buy just before a growth cycle. We know then finding something that's going to generate compounding capital growth is going to do all the heavy lifting. It's about capital, not income. And now it's really important to also understand how that growth is distributed and the power of that compounding capital growth. So if you think about a $750,000 property that grows at 7.2%, now, 7.2% average growth means that your property doubles in value every 10 years. So, for example, you buy a $750,000 property today. In 10 years' time, it's worth 1.5. In 20 years' time, it's worth 3. In 30 years' time, it's worth 6. And in 40 years' time, it's worth $12 million. Now, it's hard to get your head around these numbers, but it, it's you can demonstrate that that's what's happened in the property market. And certainly, you look at the long-term data, it certainly supports that. The point is that in that first 10-year period, you accumulated $750,000 of equity. But in that third 10-year period, that third holding period, you accumulated $3 million of equity. 
So average growth over that 10-year period is $300,000 a year. If you had one asset that was generating $300,000 a year and you were spending, say, $100,000, well, then you're well in front, aren't you? Because your asset base continues to grow even though you're starting to spend some of that capital, some of that money. It really means that holding a property for 10 years is great. 20 years is even better. But it's really the the returns in dollar value really start to kick in after 20 years. And so it's really important then we buy a high quality asset, one that we can have a high level of confidence today that in 20 years time that asset is still outperforming. And if we're going to try and pick a next growth suburb, that the risk of that or probability of that is quite low, knowing that we do have to hold this asset for a very long period of time. So how do we do that? We buy an investment grade asset and there's three attributes that an investment grade asset absolutely must possess. It has to have all, all three of these. The first one is that it has to be a persistent imbalance between supply and demand. So you want a fixed and finite supply and you want excessive or growing demand. So finite supply means typically a blue chip suburb because in blue chip suburbs there is no access to vacant land or new building or you can't really increase supply in, su- in a suburb that's already quite dense. And, and finite supply can also be in terms of architectural style. So if you think about an old Victorian house or deco apartment, no one's building that sort of architectural style anymore. The supply is finite fixed. In fact, the supply is probably reducing more than anything else. When we talk about excessive demand, we want that property to be desired by a cohort that can always afford to pay more. And they can afford to pay more for a few different reasons, maybe because they're earning higher than average incomes or and or they have access to resources that the average Australian doesn't. So whether that's inheritance, stock options, business sales, the gifts from parents, those sorts of things that are going to allow the person to be able to spend more. If you own a property that's desired by the wealthiest 20% in Australia, we know the wealthiest 20% earn a higher income and actually improve their overall wealth significantly more than the average Australian. That's really where you want your property be located. So attribute one, persistent imbalance between supply and demand. The second attribute is you want evidence of past growth. And the reason why is that growth drivers, property growth drivers tend to be both static and factual. Static in that they don't change. They rarely change or it takes decades for it to change. And factual means that it's a question of fact, not a question of opinion. So, for example, if I'm looking at a particular location or a particular street or a particular property, I know that there's a shopping strip down the road, there's a train station down the road, there's a a good public school or many private schools in close proximity hospitals, arterial roads, all those sorts of things. Now, the hospitals, the shopping strips, the schools, all those sorts of things probably have been there for decades and they probably will be there for the next decade. And so because of that, past growth tends to give you a really strong idea of what future growth you can expect. So if I'm looking at or contemplating investing in 13 Smith Street, I will have a look at what 13 Smith Street has been bought and sold for over the last 20, 30, 40 years, and I'll be able to calculate what its capital growth is. And then I will look at the property next door, 11 Smith Street, and the other side, 15 Smith Street, assuming those properties are comparable in terms of size and nature, 
I will have a look at their growth rate. And then I'll go across the road and look at 14 Smith Street. And again, if it's a comparable property, how's it grown? Start to build a bit of a data set. And what I want is I want to invest in a sure thing. I want to invest in an asset that's proven its ability to generate good capital growth. The third attribute is I want a strong land value component. We know that in general terms, building depreciates and land appreciates. The land component is really the most valuable thing because it's going to drive most of the compounding capital growth over time. Now, a property's total value tends to consist of both a building value or improvements on the land and then its underlying land value. You really want to invest in a property where more than 50% of its total value is in land rather than building. Whilst buildings can appreciate in value just because the rising cost to construct. It is, that's true, but it's also true that we have to maintain property as well, where we don't have to maintain land. So you're always going to have to spend money on a property and maintain it to a certain level. So the three attributes then are persistent imbalance between supply and demand, strong evidence of past growth, and the third attribute is having a strong underlying land value. There you go. There's a very simple approach to investing in property. I hope that's useful. As I said, you can check out the video on YouTube. The the link is in the show notes. Until next week, bye for now.